And as I flew away, I met other explorers, which to me was the NFT space and all the artists that guided me and helped me and that just do cool stuff <laughs> that I realized, oh, life is really cool. There's other people doing weird stuff like me. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Last month, a new name entered the art discussion when a suite of five digital artworks sold in a special sale at Christie's in New York City for $2.1 million. And it's a name you might not expect. Fawocious. Yes, that's the nom de art of Victor Langlois, an 18-year-old Seattle artist, originally from a family of El Salvadorian immigrants in Las Vegas. Sold during Pride Month, the opus is called Hello, I'm Victor, parentheses, Fawocious, and This is My Life. And it tells a very personal story. Via Fawocious's signature bright colors, graffiti-like text, and distorted faces, the work is about, as Christie's advertised it, quote, the journey through Fawocious's teen years so far growing up as a transgender male in an abusive household. In fact, it turns out that the work served as Victor's coming out as trans to the NFT world, at the same time making him the youngest artist ever to be sold at Christie's. Just a year ago, Fawocious was selling paintings for $95 online and just beginning to experiment with NFTs. Now, he's made a reported $16 million and is the talk of the town. Artnet News' chief art critic, Ben Davis, caught up with Fawocious about what has been a remarkable journey on many levels. Here's Ben. It's so nice to talk to you, Victor, and I just want to start from the most basic question. Where did the name Fawocious come from? Oh my goodness. So the name Fawocious came from me playing Minecraft <laughs> with my friends. And I was always the youngest friend. And they said, oh, go defeat that bad guy. Be Fawocious. Implying that I'm so little and I'm terrible at the video game that I would die, which I did. I would always die in the game. So Fawocious just came from my friends calling me that because I suck at video games. And then I made a Twitter account because I wanted to win a computer giveaway. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, what do I make that at? Well, my friends call me Fawocious. I'm going to just put that. And then it stuck forever. So it's your internet alter ego. And then that's become your artistic alter ego, basically. Yeah. So for people who've never seen a Fawocious image... Describe your style. Since it's an audio podcast, what could people expect to see? Lots of primary colors, super vibrant, surreal, I guess. Very poppy. I don't know. I write words on it, write my feelings. It's a lot of faces and with a lot of inscriptions, almost like diary entries. Yes. You are associated, or people who are listening to this are going to know you as a digital artist and through N. FTs, but you worked in painting. You still work in painting. So how did you get into art? How did you discover art? I've always liked art. I always liked drawings. I liked how everything in the world kind of is art. Like when I was like four years old, I would look at the wall and I was like, wow, why did they choose to make the wall like that? <laughs> and stuff like that. But it wasn't until middle school, I had to move schools. So I was the new kid at school. And I would sit alone at lunch every day. And all the other kids had cell phones so that if they were lonely, they could look distracted on their phone or watch YouTube 
go on Twitter, whatever, but I didn't have that. And all I had was a piece of paper and a pen. And I'm like, well, I don't want to just sit here and stare at people. So I'm a draw. And I would draw and draw to escape this awkward feeling I had. But I think I did it so much. And I got so comfortable with it that it became a safety blanket. Or sometimes I'd feel sad at lunch and I'd be like, oh, are they looking at me right now? And I would write that down over my drawing just because that's how I felt. And then it just naturally progressed into what it is now, this like big emotional thing. But it started right. as like a little fun thing. It's just something you did on your on your lunch at school. Yeah. And then you already mentioned that you were sort of started out uh, playing Minecraft, playing other video games. And then I believe had ambitions to do that full time or, or work as a YouTuber. Right. And then when that didn't work out, you ended up doing little thumbnail avatars for people. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that you knew that. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to be a Minecraft YouTuber that didn't work, but I liked all the art people made for the game. So I started doing that. And that was like the first art I ever sold $5 doodles. And that taught me how to use Photoshop, how to use after effects, how to maybe edit videos sometimes. And when I stopped my life's passion, a Minecraft art drawer. Um, I was like, wow, I just have all this knowledge. What's going to happen? And then years later, I used it. And it's just crazy that everything I do now, I'm like, oh, I remember I did this because I wanted to make my little Minecraft guy look like he's on fire. And it's it's gnarly. You're someone who really is self-created. You've said you have no mentors. I read one of your first exposures to art was the cover of Kanye West's album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which has an image from this painter, George Kondo. And I can see the connection. What did you take away from that image? Well, I would always look at cover art and I love the pretty cover art. And something about the My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, it was something different than anything I've seen. And... I realized that if I had a question, I could Google it. (laughs) So I was like, who made this cover art? And it said, George Kondo. And I'm like, George Kondo. And then I found that Kanye commissioned George Kondo to paint a purse. And he gave the purse to Kim Kardashian. And it was this beautiful painted purse. And I was like, whoa, you can paint a purse. (laughs) You can just paint whatever you want. And then I was like, who's this George Kondo guy? And I learned about how he's from the fine art world and he does paintings also just cause. And then I would click on him and then related artists. And I was like, click, click, click. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's this whole art world that I didn't know about. And it all stemmed from that album art. That's amazing. So really it was in a way predicted the kind of whole blending and blurring of your art, you know, moving between the digital and a bunch of other stuff that first influence. And then you started selling paintings. So that was like when you were 12, right? At this point, when I was selling paintings, I was like 15, 16. So it was a couple of years after you seeing the cover. And then how did you move into painting paintings? I just wanted to try. <laughs> I just wanted to see what would happen. I wasn't ever really allowed to paint. And also my room door always had to be open. So I was so nervous that with the painting, because it is fairly big, I was nervous my family would walk by my room door and look in my room and be like, why are you drawing someone crying? What does crying mean? They didn't like my art. So 
I stayed away from it, but I think at 15, 16, I got to a point where it's like, I want to paint and I'm going to paint something very vaguely emotional so that they can't yell at me, but enough where I feel satisfied. And I painted like three paintings while I lived there and I love them. Great. And then you sort of moved from that into digital art. Why'd you move into more digital artworks? Well, buying paints, canvases, that costs money. And I felt bad asking like, oh, can you spend this much on a new canvas? I know I just used one. Like I would ask for new canvases and they'd be like, I just bought you some. You used it already? And I'd be like, yeah, I love art. (laughs) And so it got to the point where I realized, well, if I get a graphics tablet, I can have infinite canvases as big as I want, infinite colors. I could have this brush and this brush and whatever brush. So I knew digital would be smarter. Plus with digital, you can hide it better. With the canvas, everyone sees it digital. I can hide it under my chest as I'm drawing and then zip it away in a file with a password that no one will know the password to. So that's why I got into digital. So it can serve more as like a personal space, like a diary. Absolutely. And this is not that long ago. This is just like a year ago, maybe a little bit more, when you were selling paintings online for like $95. I mean, now everyone is going to know you through NFTs and you're really one of the faces of that scene. But a year ago, that wasn't where your head was at. It was one of the people who bought your paintings online that introduced this idea to you. Is that right? Yeah, I finished these paintings a while ago. And then I was like, huh, they're just sitting here and I'm getting yelled at because I'm taking up so much space. What do I do? (laughs) So I put them up on a website, my website, and the first one sold for $95. And I was like, oh, my God, $95. This is insane. When is is this? This is last year in like January, February, year and a half ago. Yes. And it sells months pass. Never really, no one posted a picture of like, hey, I have the painting. Like no one said nothing. And then March comes around and I get an email. And the email is from the guy who bought the painting. He shows his receipt and he says, hey, I'm the guy who bought the painting. I love it so much. I have it hanging. It's beautiful. I love your art. I would love to collect more. However, I'm not interested in physical. I'm interested in digital assets. NFTs. And I read that and I was like, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) And then he continues the email by explaining NFTs, showing me different marketplaces, telling me how to apply. Very informational email. That email changed my life. And so your first NFT, if I'm correct, was I Always Think of You, which you put on Super Rare and was bought for about $1,000 almost exactly a year ago. What was the process of putting it up? And What did that sale mean to you? I think I have other ones I put up before then, but that was my first sale. Putting it up was scary because, you know, NFTs, you can sell your art online, just digital. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? Are they trying to steal the IP to my art, like my rights? How can you sell your art online? And I was nervous. So I spent like three days going on intense Google rabbit hole dives And now if you Google NFTs, there's a lot of resources. But at the time, it was very hard (laughs) to get a good answer. So then I started going on Twitter and I found the community and artists who've been there before some of these marketplaces even existed. So I would talk to them and learn from them. And 
uploading the art was actually really easy. <laughs> it just said, you just go to like superair.com slash tokenize. And then it's very easy and you fill out forms. And I, I did that and it uploaded and it was on the blockchain and I was just staring at it. And I was like, wow, stared at it for about like a week or two weeks. I set a list price for 4.5 Ethereum, which was $1,000 at the time. And it sold like the next day after I set that list price and it changed my life. That's the most money I've ever made off of art. I've never had a commission that large, nothing that large. That was the most money I ever made. And seeing that I was in a household where they didn't support who I am. They didn't support my art and I wanted to leave. And to see that much money was like, oh my God, if I can keep doing this, I can move out one day. And that was life-changing. So, yeah, I know that you've said that at 17, I made a roadmap, which is last year, right? <laughs> and uh, and that you basically studied how other artists got attention and, and took notes on how other people found success. So what were your lessons? What was your roadmap? So January 1st, I turned 17 and I'm like, okay, I turned 18 in exactly a year. <laughs> What do I have to do to make enough money to move out? And so I sat there and I wrote this plan being like, okay, go on Twitter, go on Instagram, look at the most popular artists. What are they doing? Go on YouTube. How can you spread your audience and the attention to you? So I started making videos where I would make like little commercials being like, look at the prints I'm selling. Oh, I made hoodies. Look at this. I started making clothes. I started making YouTube videos showing how I paint shoes, hoping that <laughs> like a shoe company would see me painting shoes and be like, oh, we're Nike and we're going to hire this kid. And I would post at certain times and draw more relatable things with more relatable quotes that people could share, but still emotional in like a weird dark way that was weird enough for it to still be me, but for people to share and I would just be on Twitter all the time and not really sleep <laughs> and just do anything I could to increase my chances of selling more art so I could move out. So then I guess another big moment, as far as I can tell, is in September 2020. So just, just a little while after you started making NFTs, there's this crypto fund investor named Anthony Pompliano who announced that he and his partner we're making a big bet on digital art. That's a quote from them. And in the same note, he wrote, in my opinion, Fuocious is the best digital artist in the world. He also commissioned a portfolio from you, including a work called The Innovator's Dinner that features images of Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, Jay-Z, and Malala eating together in a tribute to Leonardo's The Last Supper. And a work from that portfolio was the first commissioned work ever to be sold on Nifty Gateway in December 2020. That's NYC Skyline. So that's amazing to me that this crypto investor, just a little while after you started doing this, declares you the greatest artist in the world and is like, I'm basically betting a lot of money on this. How did that commission come together? How did these investors find you? I was stunned. I remember that day when they found me. It was really random. <laughs> um, one day, Pomp DM'd me. Pomp is the nickname of Anthony Pompliano. Yeah, Pompliano. And he said, hey, want to hop on a call? 
And I was so anxious. I've never done anything professional in my life. I am 17 years old. <laughs> and I'm like, I tried my best. I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> and we get on a call. And he was very honest and very nice and very supportive. He was like, look, I'm an investor and I have been looking at this space and I think it's the future for art, just what it is and how there's royalties and how you can track it, all this stuff. But most importantly, I look at your account and I think you have a great story. I think you're good at speaking and you're very charismatic. And I think that will help you a lot as your life goes on. And so I would like to commission you because I think it'll be a good investment and it would be fun to do these different topics like the NYC Skyline or the Innovators Dinner. And so we did that. And it was so weird to hear someone else who was more well-known in the space that they believed in me. And I just felt so lucky or I don't know. I was like, I was trying my best and normally no one ever really saw, but someone saw <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Does it feel weird to have somebody who's saying they're basically, I'm interested in you, not just as an artist, but as like an investment? It made me feel really confident. I was like, I'm not going to let you down. <laughs> I mean, with those works, with the commission, that was the first time I spent a month just sitting and working on a piece and doing nothing else. Because before it was like, I need a post every single day, get an engagement, get into attention. And social media in a way like really affected my brain with art and working every single day. But with this commission, it was like, okay, for the first time, I have enough money where I can sit and do nothing but focus on intense research and figuring out color theory more and just doing whatever I want. And I think at the time that was my best piece, which was exciting. And then it taught me, oh, the longer you spend on something, it's better. And then I just started taking my time more. <laughs> so, and then after that, Things really pick up at the end of the year, November, December. There are a bunch of sales for like $25,000 for the moment I fell in love and so on. And it's really with that money, if I understand it, that you basically, as soon as you turned 18, you moved out of the house and moved to Seattle. What's crazy too is the collector who bought the moment I fell in love. His name is Eric Young. We had a call and he's like, I've seen you for a while. But I didn't choose to buy the art until then because I wanted to see how you treated the space and how you evolved. And it just blew my mind learning that now that people were seeing me. And when he supported me at the time, he had no idea what my family life was like. He had no idea all the things I was going through and all the hurt I was feeling. He just saw my art and believed in it so hard that he wanted to buy it for $25,000. And that was my biggest sale at the time. I think it was like a lot more than any other sale I've ever had. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it was crazy. And then after that, the sales kept getting higher and I would cry. I was like, oh my God, I can move out and pay rent for like six months. Oh my God, I can move out and pay rent for a whole year. Oh my God, I can move out and get groceries and I can get a new computer that renders the animations better. And then it just, those realizations kept happening. And then on my 18th birthday, January 1st, I had another drop and that was my biggest selling drop ever. It sold for $340,000. And I was just mind blown 
And then the next day I went on an airplane to Seattle and I was just on the airplane like, oh my God, that just happened. Through your art, you have found your literal own space. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel so much more free. Like with the Christie's art that I did, I used clay. And that's something I would have never been able to do before. I would have been way too nervous to paint or to use clay or to put glitter on something or make mess and use spray paint. Like I feel so much more free and I think my art has improved so, so much. So in the last year that you've been making NFTs has just seen the NFT field expand by leaps and bounds. I mean, your career so far pretty much tracks that directly just in March when there was the huge spike of interest, your work, the everlasting beautiful sold for half a million dollars. And what has that been like? It's really just like watching a car go from zero to a hundred in under 10 seconds. You know, it's it's just such a huge acceleration of interest. What's it like to be at the center of that? I mean, it's so surreal. Like sometimes I'll sit and just cry (laughs) because I'm like, wow. First of all, I'm so thankful that people even like my art. Second of all, I'm in the middle of this art revolution thing and I'm alive at the same time as it. Wait, I'm part of it. (laughs) And so I have all these crazy realizations and it, it feels amazing. It feels, I don't know. I love art. Art saved me from the darkest times in my life and saved me from when I felt shy and awkward. It made me feel more confident. It was a good way to talk to people. They're like, oh, can I see your sketchbook? And I would be like, yeah. (laughs) And then I would talk about it. So art is my life. And to be part of all this, it's so crazy. And it makes me so excited knowing that there are going to be other 12-year-olds and 15-year-olds who join the space and their lives change too. I guess that kind of brings us to this big event, this sale at Christie's that happened. And you're the youngest artist ever to have a sale at Christie's. How did this come about? Did they approach you with an idea for this? So my manager, Andrew, we were sitting and talking. He was like, have you ever emailed Christie's? And I was like, I didn't know you could email Christie's. And he was like, we should email Christie's. And I said, okay. (laughs) So he emailed Christie's just saying, hey, like, what's up? (laughs) Asking questions. And within the hour, Andrew called me back and he's like, oh my God, they replied like instantly. And I was like, oh my God. And Noah Davis from Christie's replied to my manager, Andrew, and said, oh my goodness, I was about to email you and ask you if you were interested. So we both just said hi at the same time. (laughs) And it was perfect. And it was like right after the people sale is when we started talking. And there was no idea. It was just like, Fawocious Christie's, yes. What is it going to be? I don't know. But as time went on, I, I sat there. And I thought about the fact that it is Christie's and I'm so young and I'm so grateful to have this career opportunity. And I said, okay, with such a big platform, what can I do? I want to tell the most honest, real, raw story and hopefully talk to kids like me. Mm -hmm. And I sat 
And Noah saw my old art and saw that it was signed under Victoria and not Victor. And then so did Andrew. And I never acknowledged this before. <laughs> so we all sat there and Andrew was like, I noticed that your old art is under Victoria. Do you want to talk about that? And I said, well, <laughs> we're going to talk about it. And I basically came out to them and told them I'm trying came out to them in the discussion of the commission. Wow. Yeah. Cause they were just looking at my art and we were just talking about art ideas and I, I came out right there and then I realized how nice it felt to come out and not hide. I was just like, this has to be about being trans. And yeah. I thought the best realist way to tell that is my life journey. I didn't know they were going to let me title it that. <laughs> right, right. The title is, hello, I'm Victor Fuocious, and this is my life. And it's five images. And that became the collection. And then Noah was like, we can do it during Pride Month. We could do it during the week of the NYC Pride Parade. And I said, okay. And that was that. And then I just went off and worked on the collection. So these five images track your questioning your gender identity and discovering a way to express yourself. Maybe since, again, people can't see them, just walk us through those five images that you created. The whole collection starts from me at 14 years old titled it hurts to hide and there's a closet door and me wearing a dress and there's a little person on a witness stand because i had to go to court to leave an abusive household and there's all these little memento symbols around the piece just showing ah <laughs> i feel stuck ah here are all these things i'm thinking about but can't tell anyone and my hand is reaching towards the top right of the piece towards like this white ethereal space, but no one is reaching back to hold my hand or to lift me up. And it's a very dark piece. And that piece just symbolizes me feeling lost and feeling 14 years old and recognizing that I am queer and recognizing that no one in my family supports me. And I don't know anyone who would accept me. And that was a tough year. And then you go on to year 15 and year 15 is titled my mama's dream because I'm Hispanic and at 15 years old, we have the quinceanera and it's about becoming a woman and wearing a beautiful dress and a big event where everyone celebrates you becoming a woman. But the thing is, I didn't identify with that. So my family was planning a quinceanera and I'm trying on dresses and stuff, but it's like, I don't identify with this. <laughs> I don't want to celebrate this. And that was a tough year, but in that year, because my family is so transphobic and would always tell me like, God made you how you are and stuff like that. I thought maybe something was wrong with me. Maybe if I try hard enough to be the perfect woman for my family, then maybe, I don't know, maybe they would actually love me more and they wouldn't yell at me so much. So I would act like super feminine. I would do my voice higher. And if you look at the piece, it's this big pink mask that's smiling, but it's a forced smile. And you can see wrinkles around the mouth and the hand is holding a forced smile and the mask is cracked and it's cracking to blue that says a victor. And beneath the blue, you can see my true self holding up this fake mask as if it's like a kabuki theater play or something. And around the big vibrant colors, there's black and white. And in the black and white, it's just sad thoughts that I was having at the time. We go to year 16 when a child feels lost 
And that's when me as a child felt very lost because I said, okay, I went from hiding to pretending and now none of those worked and I'm so stuck and I don't want to live this year. I just barely turned 16. I hate this. I hate it here. And it's really sad. It talks about death. I'm running towards a tombstone and the tombstone says Victoria Lang Lois because I thought a lot about dying. And if I were to die at 16 years old, I would have been recognized as Victoria Lang Lois because that is my government name and my family never knew I was trans. So they wouldn't have known. No one would have known. And the story is basically saying that I never got mental health resources. I was in therapy and my family took me out because they said depression's not real. Trans suicide is sadly a very big number in the community. I have had friends that have committed suicide and I wanted this piece to be like, look, here's what happens when you take a kid and don't give them resources. Here's what happens when you're a kid in a family and they don't support you. And luckily I made it through that year because of art. You can see there's like a pen and paper at the top, right? And that's me like drawing and it just like, it's saving me. I'm like, oh, I'm having a panic attack, but I'm drawing. So it's forcing me to breathe a little bit more and makes my arm a little bit more still. Year 17 is titled, his name is Victor. Because after such a bad year, I was like, wow, if my family won't accept me for me, then I have no one. All I have is me and I love me and I want to live this one life that I know I have and do whatever I want. So I accepted that I'm trans and I said, okay, my name is Victor. And the piece is just a weird portrait of me pointing at myself. And it's like a love letter to anyone trans or anyone queer saying that you're not alone and that just keep going and be alive and being alive is cool. <laughs> and then year 18 is I taught myself how to fly. And if you read it, it says I smiled and I crafted wings and glued them to my back saying that normally like I was imagining like a mama bird teaching me how to fly or something, but I didn't have that. So instead I just sat there with popsicle sticks and twine and made my own wings that I didn't even have and taped them to my back and flew away. And as I flew away, I met other explorers, which to me was the NFT space and all the artists that guided me and helped me and that just do cool stuff <laughs> that I realized, oh, life is really cool. There's other people doing weird stuff like me. Yeah, I read you say that you just changed your pronouns really quickly in the NFTs, but you didn't make a big deal out of it. You said, I just changed my pronouns really fast. hope no one noticed. But obviously they've noticed now. I mean, have people reached out to you or talked to you? Yeah. A lot of my friends are like, dude, I didn't even know. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> and then they gave me a big old hug. I got a lot of DMs of people being like, oh my goodness, I came out because of you just within the Christie's project. And I've gotten so many supportive DMs. All my collectors were like, I just love your art more now. Like there's so many details where I would talk about being trans in my old art, but I wouldn't tell them. I'd be like, oh, it's just symbolism for something. I don't know. <laughs> but now that they know I'm trans, they can look at my older art and be like, oh, that's what this means. <laughs> so it's been a big media moment. and. You know, obviously now you're on your own and you used your art to move out from a family that was not very accepting either of your art or of you being trans. And obviously they probably know now, have, have you heard from your family? So I blocked their numbers after I moved out, except my uncles. Right. And my uncle texted me 
and said, oh, we know you're trans and we love you, which at first I was like, oh, my God. Yay. All my life's pain. What? I was going to fly to Las Vegas where I'm from that day and give him a big old hug. But then I thought more and I texted him and I said, well, what about all the times I cried and begged for my hair to get cut? What about this? What about this? What about this? And I just listed all these things (laughs) that I had to deal with. And he replied, well, we remember that and we don't feel bad about it. And then I stopped looking at flights and I blocked his number too. (laughs) And then I went along with my day and I was like, you know what? I am not in the mental space right now to deal with this. I just want to accept myself right now and feel all the love for me and not even think about people who don't feel bad about what they did. (laughs) That seems very fair to me. So were you in New York for the sale? Yeah. What was it like? It was crazy. I never been to New York before. I was like, I feel like I'm Spider-Man or I feel like I'm in a movie walking around. I had pizza every day, literally sometimes twice a day. I went to Christie's almost every day. My art was displayed there. And Noah was like, do you know whose art was on this wall before your art was here? I was like, who? And he's like, Basquiat. He was our last sale. So it was like his art. And then we took it off. And now your art is there. And I was like, what the heck? My art was on the same wall as Basquiat's art. (laughs) And I was losing my mind. We got to walk around and just be in Christie's, just us and no one else. And I saw them put my paintings up. I saw them put the screens up with the NFTs. And it was beautiful. This big building in New York that says Christie's and you see like all this fancy stuff and fancy art. And then you walk in and my art was like in the center, like in spotlights and stuff. I cried. I was like, well, we've been on Zoom calls and I've been on my computer every day, but I didn't know it was going to be like real <laughs> until we, I saw it in real life. So I have to ask, did the sale really crash the Christie's website? That was crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but as soon as it opened, Christie's crashed and that was gnarly. Is it a really tense moment when you're waiting to see if things are going to sell? And so it's such a personal piece. I mean, yeah, it was super tense every day, just revealing the art. Part of me was like, is this too sad or is this too, too much? I don't know. But every collector that won the pieces was just like, I love this. Thank you for making such personal art. And that is so refreshing and nice (laughs) after spending months sitting and crying and like, you know, calling a collection, this is my life. That's a big statement. And I did not want to go around it lightly. I put everything, my journal entries, my old school essays, my old progress reports, my everything into it. And it was a lot, but I'm very happy how it went. And I'm happy to meet the collectors. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next is that there's a digital artwork that people buy as NFT and then there's the canvas, right? And then there's a collection of other stuff. And one of the things you've said is that you will personally deliver suitcases to the people who buy them sort of in a tribute to you packing your suitcase and inventing yourself. Has anyone taken you up on that? So far, yeah. (laughs) You're making the rounds to deliver the art, huh? 
The only problem right now is COVID. So like restrictions. And also I don't have a passport because I just turned 18. Where, where was I going to go? <laughs> so, so we're waiting on that. But besides that, like, yeah, I'm so excited. I know you probably can't say who they are, but who buys your art? Is it new kinds of younger people who are like digital natives? Is it, is it more? I think it's a mixture of some older people and younger people. One thing I found with my art is because I do also do paintings, it reaches, you know, a broader audience of people who are like, I don't really get NFTs, but I get painting. And then with that, they're like, well, you have to get the NFT to get the painting. There's like some people who are like learning about NFTs through my art. There's some people who just stumbled upon NFTs and saw my name and they're like, ooh, who are you? And so it's a big mixture of people, which is super cool. You're at the center of the NFT scene now. Are there artists that you follow, that you're watching, that you think are inspirations to you or that people should look out for? I really, really love an artist named Corey Van Loo. He's super smart. He does similar like weird portraits like I do, but his are way more neat and super beautiful stories about like him and his brother or the times we're going through now with like COVID and stuff. But what I like about him is that he's not afraid to use new technology. So like he put an NFC chip inside his canvas so that when you put your phone over the painting, the marketplace, whatever that painting was on, popped up. And I'm like, whoa, or he messes with augmented reality a lot. So I love him. He's so cool. There is this very robust scene of queer NFT creators or digital artists. Do you think there's any particular reason why this is a space where people gather? The reason I knew I was trans, that you could even be trans, was online. Going online and finding trans people who are like, just got top surgery, just got my second shot of testosterone. And I'm like, what? You can do that? Hold on. <laughs> Let me Google more. So I think because so much education and so much community is online, people were already friends from the queer space. And then they're like, oh, you make art too? Oh, NFTs? Okay. <laughs> and then so it just worked beautifully. Right, right. Actually, in the Esquire profile, it did have a detail where it mentioned that you went on GoFundMe and funded people's top surgery when you got success. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I guess the last obvious question is, what's next for Fuocious? What are you up to now? Um, I really want to explore the metaverse. I think that's really cool. I just want to explore telling more stories. I feel like my past art was so much about hurt and escape. And now I want it to be about self-love. What does friendship mean? What does trust mean? What does growing up even mean? What do I mean? <laughs> like stuff like I just want to keep exploring stories that I've always been exploring and with the NFT space, explore new mediums and ways to tell those stories. Awesome. It's such an honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Honor to talk to you too. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcast.artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.